Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, good morning, and happy Father's Day again. I love that we have the chance to gather today and to worship our Heavenly Father together and to look into His Word together. And that's where we're going to be over the next several minutes as we open up God's Word and we read it together. And I want to remind each of us where we are in terms of our study of God's Word. Last Sunday, we began a brand new series that we called Like. And that series is found in Matthew chapter 13, as Jesus tells a number of different parables where he says, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he would take something from this world that we understand and compare it with something of the kingdom of heaven that we don't understand. So Jesus would talk about things like agriculture and fish and treasure, things from this world that we understand to let us know what the kingdom of heaven is like. And we began that series last Sunday, and we're going to continue it today by looking at one of the most famous stories that Jesus ever told. As a matter of fact, it's a story so famous that all three of the synoptic gospel writers, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three include this story. And not only do they include the story, but they also go so far as to provide Jesus' explanation of it. In other words, this is a story that was famous, attributed to Jesus. He said it. It's famous, but it's not only famous, it's something that he wants us to understand and to know about. And this morning, we're going to look at that story, which is the parable of the sower. It's found in Matthew chapter 13, the first nine verses, and then the explanation in verses 18 through 23. Now, this is a famous story, but it's also famous in our city. I don't know if you realize, but the story of the parable of the sower is famous in Norman, and it's famous not just because it's connected to Jesus, but also because of its connection to the University of Oklahoma. See, guarding the entrance to the South Oval of the OU campus is a statue of a sower. Uh, This same image of a sower also is right in the middle of the official seal of the University of Oklahoma. Now, you might be wondering, why is it that OU has a statue of a sower or has a seal? And really, it goes back to the university's very first president, a man by the name of David Ross Boyd. President Boyd came to OU in 1892. He arrived on a train in our city, and he got off. And you know what he saw? Nothing. He saw nothing here. As a matter of fact, one of the things he didn't see were trees. This was just a barren, hard-baked prairie. And as President Boyd set out to build a university, he also had a desire to beautify the city in which that campus existed. And so taking about half of his salary those first few years He bought seeds and water and planted 10,000 trees around the city of Norman. Can you imagine that? That's what he did with his spare time as he's cast these seeds and watered them so that they would turn into the city in which we know. As you drive around Norman today and you see trees, guess what? Somebody had a vision for that. That's not natural. 
Now, not only was the story of the parable of the sower something that, that David Ross Boyd, you know, imitated by casting these seeds and planting trees, but he also was fond of the story that Jesus told. And President Boyd, a devout Christian, actually held a chapel service on the OU campus every day while he was president. And in one of those chapel messages, he opened up the Bible and he read the story that we're going to look at today, the parable of the sower. And he talked about how the mission of the university was to plant seeds of knowledge in the hearts of its students so that it might grow and produce fruit. You see, this story is famous, not just in the scripture, but even in our city. So doesn't it make sense for us to take a look at it today to find out what it's really all about? Well, that's what we're going to do, because here's the thing. As impressive as it is and as much vision as it took for President Boyd to show up in Norman and plant seeds, as impressive as that is, Jesus has done something even more amazing. You realize that when Jesus came at the time of the incarnation, when he was born in Bethlehem, when he got off the train, you know what he saw? Nothing of the kind of spiritual fruit that he desires. But rather than looking around at each of us and just shaking his head and tisking his tongue and saying, these poor people have no hope and going on and doing his own thing, you know what Jesus did? He went about in his life casting his seeds with a desire that God's fruit might become manifest in our lives. That's the truth of the parable of the sower. And if it is God's desire that his fruit shows up in our lives, and if he's gone to great lengths to make that possible through Jesus casting his seed into our soil, the question then becomes, why is it that more of God's fruit doesn't show up in our lives? I mean, I don't know how many of you right now are satisfied with your harvest of God's fruit in your life, but many of us, if we're honest, feel challenged because Maybe there's not as much of God's fruit, not as much of his beauty and his righteousness that comes out of our life. What comes out of our life sometimes is brokenness and ugly, right? How is it that more of God's fruit doesn't become manifest? And really, Jesus tells a parable to let us know why that is. Why is it that not every seed cast develops into a beautiful harvest? It has nothing to do with the quality of the seed, but it has something to do with what is going on on the interior of our lives. It has to do with our hearts. And today what I want us to do is I want us to look at this parable and Jesus' explanation of it to hear a challenge for each of us in terms of how God might want to grow his fruit in our lives. So if you've got a Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 13. Or if you've got a smartphone or an iPad, tap your way to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to look at and read the first nine verses of that chapter, which will tell us the story as Jesus told it. And then we're going to skip over to verses 18 through 23 to see Jesus' explanation of that story as we look at the parable of the sower together today. Chapter 13, verse 1 begins this way. It says, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. He's at the Sea of Galilee. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat, and he sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. So you can imagine this scene. The crowd is gathering around so much that Jesus keeps backing up. Well, pretty soon he's in the water, because the crowd is so great. 
So he hops up into a boat and he sits down while everybody else was standing. Now I've heard it described that this is preaching the way Jesus did and this would eliminate people sleeping at church, right? If everybody stood and I sat down, your likelihood of falling asleep goes down. So we're going to try that today. Uh, No, just kidding. I know what you're saying. You're saying, hey, Mark, uh, Jesus also only preached for nine verses, and you're going to ramble on for 30 minutes. If you want to really buy into this bargain of preaching as Jesus did, just stick to the text. Okay, I got it. All right. And Jesus told them many things, verse 3, in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depths of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear." So Jesus opened and he, he taught this parable. Now, when Jesus finished teaching this parable, his disciples kind of pulled him aside. And they said, Jesus, great story. But why did you tell that truth and that story? I mean, what does it mean? Could you not have been more plain to the, to the crowd? They asked him that question. Well, Jesus then says, hey, guys, I'm glad you asked. That was the whole plan all along was for me to teach this story in such a way that those who were really interested, those who had their curiosity piqued, might come to me and ask, and I might provide an explanation. We saw that in last week's message. And then in verse 18, Jesus opens his mouth and he begins to explain the parable. He says, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So, here is the parable of the sower. Now, here's the thing, friends. I think Jesus wants us to understand this parable. He wants us to understand it Because not only did he tell it, and not only was it preserved by three of the gospel writers, but Jesus actually explained it to his disciples, and it made such an impact on them under the direction of the Holy Spirit, the explanation was written down. This happened for only a few of the parables. So I think there is something in here for us to see today. I think we need to understand the parable. Now, if we're going to begin to understand this parable, I think we need to First, identify the symbols that Jesus will draw comparisons from, okay? So what are some of those symbols? Well, the first symbol that we see is the symbol of the sower, the symbol of the sower. Now, who is the sower in in this picture? Well, the sower, friends, is Jesus. In other words, looking into the world and seeing 
the hard pan prairie of our lives and the death of the spiritual death that was around, Jesus comes into the world with a desire to beautify it according to his purpose. He comes into the world with a desire to produce his kind of fruit in our lives. He's the sower. He showed up on the train in Bethlehem, and he set about a mission of casting his seed into our lives. Jesus is the sower. I think by application, it would be Jesus and anyone else who points to him in truth. The idea is the sower is the one who is disseminating the truth of God. Well, that's the sower. The next thing we need to think about is the seed. What is the seed? Well, the sower is going about not just being kind. The sower is going about tossing out seeds. And what are seeds? Seeds are small things that inside of them have the full potential of life. What is the thing that Jesus is casting among us that has the potential of producing life? Well, Jesus tells us what it is. He says it's the word of the kingdom. It's truth, friends. Certainly includes the gospel, the fact that all of us are sinful and have fallen short of a holy God, that Jesus came and died on the cross to take the full penalty that our sins deserve so that we might be forgiven and might be reconciled and connected to God forever. That's the word of the kingdom. But it goes even beyond that to include all of the ways in which we follow Jesus in faith by seeing his teaching and his example inside of this book. See, it's the word of the kingdom. It's truth that is scattered. That's God's plan for growing life in us. Why is it that when we gather on Sundays, we open this book and read it? Why is it that when we gather in our small groups, we we circle up and we read this book? Because we know that, that, that we have a need to produce fruit in our lives that is consistent with God's greatness, his goodness, and his beauty. And on our own, we don't have the ability to do it. How does it happen? It happens not by us just trying harder. It happens not by us just being creative. It happens by the seed of God's word landing inside of us. The potential for life and growth is found inside of this book, friends. That's why we read it. That's why we study it. Jesus tells us that in the parable of the sower. He comes and he casts that seed. Now, here's what's awesome. He casts the seed broadly. Jesus doesn't take something that is so awesome and only give it to Joel. It would be beyond gracious if that's what he did. He doesn't just give it to Bryce. He doesn't just give it to Susan. But God graciously casts the seed with the potential for spiritual life broadly in this world across many different types of soil. Because the soils, which is the next symbol inside of the story, all represent different lives, different people, different hearts, different souls. There's varying conditions of our soul that create better or worse environments for God's truth to produce its intended goal of fruitfulness. But we see inside of this story that God and Jesus goes forth and casts this truth among us in varying types of soil. But here's something else that we see inside of this story. 
In three of the four parts of this parable, we see that there's an enemy that comes along and prevents the seed from growing, prevents it from producing fruit. And so with with this framework, with this idea, we see the story of the parable of the sower. And again, Jesus has a desire for us to understand it. How does Jesus end the parable in in verse 9? He says, he who has ears, let him hear. So just do me a favor. Would you point to your ears? I know it's a little juvenile, but do it anyway, uh, if you're okay with that. We have ears, right? So if you have ears, that means that this story is for you. This is not a story that we're supposed to listen to and think about our kid who needs to hear it or who, who we think about our spouse or our friend or for somebody else or for those who don't yet know Jesus. This is a story that is intended for all of us who have ears to hear. It, it is certainly intended for all of those groups, but guess what? It also is intended for you. And so here's my challenge to us. As we read this today, here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask, how does this connect to me? How does it connect to me? What is the condition of the soil of my soul? What is the condition of my heart? And we're gonna ask that question by looking at each of the parts of the different soils that Jesus cast this seed in. And we're gonna look at each of those soils by asking a question. The first question I wanna ask is related to the first soil and that's, that, is, and that's this. Is your heart paved? Is your heart paved? The first example we see is that the seed is cast along a path. Now, some of you might be wondering, why is it that any farmer with any knowledge would cast their seed on their path? I mean, if you're trying to grow grass on your driveway, there's something wrong with you, right? That just isn't a good plan. And so part of the question is, why is it that seed landed on the path? And our understanding of this needs to be shaped, but not by our experience at our house here in Norman, but by the first century and the agriculture that existed in that day. The paths that Jesus is talking about here were the paths of, they were walking paths that were found between the fields. And those paths had, you know, the ground was, was packed down tight. They would sometimes put some rock and things in there to create this path and make it easy to walk on even in a wet environment. But these, these paths were, were these narrow paths that went between the fields. And as somebody would go along and plant their seed and sow their seed for a, a crop, they would cast it broadly. And if they wanted to cast it right up to the edges, they would have to have some seed that would land on the path. And so what Jesus says is he says, hey, you guys know that when people plant seeds to grow a crop, some of that seed lands on these walking paths. And what you've probably seen, Jesus says, is that when the seed lands on that walking path, it ends up not producing fruit. Well, why? Because it's just laying there exposed on a very hard surface. And what happens to seed that is left exposed? Some of you may have had this happen at your house. If you didn't till soil and you planted seed for grass, this happened to me one time. I looked out the front window and what did I see? Birds eating my seed. I might as well have cut up a 20 and laid it out there. It would have been more fun to watch. (laughs) Jesus said that some of the seed, if it lands on something that is like a path, birds will come along and eat it. Now, what's the significance of this? What's the connection for us? Jesus said that some hearts 
are paved over. They're either callous because of pain that has happened in the past or ultimate rejection and unbelief of God, believing that he doesn't exist or that his truth isn't real or that Jesus isn't his son or whatever it is. There's a hard and fast line that has paved their heart and prevented God's word from being received inside of it. So that when the word of God is read around them or over them, it sits out here. They keep it at arm's length, but it never makes its way to the inside. Jesus said, if that's the case, there's an enemy that will come along, and that enemy is the evil one, and like a bird will consume the word of God that has landed near that person. There's a spiritual battle. The evil one, Satan, and his demons will come along and devour God's word so that it does not produce fruit in the life of one whose heart is paved. Friends, as we gather here today, I have to ask the question, are there any of us in this room whose heart is paved because of past experience, because of intellectual hurdles you just cannot get past? Have you turned yourself off to the claims of Christ? Have you said, that's for somebody else? Have you kept it at arm's length? If so, that truth is being consumed and taken away and you're left on your own, and that's a situation of great and dire need. So friends, here's the question. If you find yourself with a paved heart, what do you do? Well, guess what? There's tremendous hope for you. Tremendous hope. Why? Because we have a God who tills the soil of our soul and makes it possible for his word to be receptive inside of us. Every single one of us in this room, if we know Jesus, at one point had a heart that was paved. But in a remarkable miracle, God took us from spiritual death to spiritual life. Ezekiel chapter 36 describes it this way, that we who had a heart of stone were given a heart of flesh. God is in the business of breaking up the soil of our life, and he does so by breaking up our pride through conviction of our sin and recognition of our need. A curiosity to this word that allows it to get past the outside and to work its way down into our lives. Friends, if you're here today and you have paved your heart in the past, know this, it's not over for you yet. Maybe even today the Lord would be breaking the soil and inviting you to trust him. And if we do, there's a hope of life, new life in Christ, forgiveness, eternity, fruit, possible for any of us. We, we see this first kind of soil here, the soil of a paved heart. The second question we need to ask relates to the next kind of soil, and that's this. Is your heart shallow? Is your heart shallow? Now, we see this in the story as the seed is, is cast. Some of it lands on the path, but some of it lands maybe near the path in areas where the soil is really shallow and kind of rocky. In our modern day, we might understand this if you ever tried to grow something in a very thin layer of dirt that sits on the top of bedrock or limestone. It's just shallow. There's, there's no place for the roots to go. And Jesus describes this as a scenario that they would have understood. They, they'd seen seed like this that looks like it's got a chance, but because it never develops a root, when the sun comes out, it burns it up and it dies. 
Now, Jesus explains this, this parable in such a way to let us know what the significance is for you and I. Jesus said that there are some of us who have a shallow heart. At one time in our life, we were exposed to a little bit of truth about Jesus, and we got excited about it. He's talking about those of us that maybe went to camp back when we were in high school. You think back in 1987, I remember that. I was joyful about this. I bought the Lord's Gym t-shirt. I was fired up. I came back, and I told my friends and my family, and I started going to youth group, and it was cool. It was awesome, right? There's, there's, that, there's that experience. Some of you are thinking, no, I remember that. That was, that was when I was in college. And I, I had these friends that had this Bible study on my floor and they invited me down and I hung out and these things began to make some sense to me and all stuff, da-da-da-da. Or it was that time that, you know, my, my life was a mess. I was going through the divorce or I, the diagnosis came in and I prayed that God would do something great in my life and he would help me out. And if he would, then I'd be with him forever. And something began to turn and stir in me. And there was this, this moment of Growth. There was a moment of joy. There was a flash. But all too often, friends, our faith never goes deeper than that. It stays shallow. And what Jesus lets us know is if we have a faith that is shallow, if our root does not grow down deep, then there is an enemy that will come along, and that enemy is the world in which we live, where tribulation and persecution will come along and will make life hard. And if our roots have never gone down deep, then the challenge is that when we begin to experience adversity, we'll think that we're doing it wrong, or we'll think that God has abandoned us, and we'll fall away. You know, friends, sadly, I, I I have friends that I've seen this happen in their lives that have said, because God didn't give me what I wanted, because the prayer that I had wasn't answered the way that I wanted it to or the timing that I wanted it to, I'm going to walk away from him. Well, what is that, friends? It's a, it's a faith that is shallow. It's a faith that is shallow. It's a root that hasn't gone down deep. And I believe that there are some of us in the room right now who's, who are not experiencing the fruit that God desires in our lives because our faith is shallow. We want God on our terms. We've never really counted the cost. We've never looked beyond the, the, the exciting promise of the flip-over calendar, right? You know, there are little flip-over calendars in your house, the house that have verses on them. Typically, those verses are God's promises and the cool things that he said, and I'm never going to leave you, and those kinds of things. And we can do all things in Christ, and we see those verses. But if all we ever have is those top-line things, we can miss out on the way that God wants to develop our faith in a deeper way. See, if we think that we'll never experience trial and hardship, what happens when we experience trial and hardship? So we need to go deep. The root needs to go down. Now, how does that happen? Well, if you find yourself today with a faith that is shallow, guess what? There's good news for you. We can run to Jesus, and he can drive that root down deep. Friends, the truth of this book is not shallow, It's not one-dimensional. It's deep, and in a lifetime, we will never consume it. This is why we need to continue to read it over the course of our lives so that our faith gets layered and it gets deeper. You know, right now, I'm I'm reading through the Scripture in a one-year plan, and as as a part of that plan, I'm reading through the whole Bible this year. One of the things I'm finding is I'm reading verses I would never read otherwise. 
But I'm so thankful for that process because it's reminding me of the depth of my faith and of the fact that God works even through situations that look awful to accomplish his purposes. And that God even uses brokenness in me and challenges I experience to help minister and have an impact in others' lives. And we see those kinds of things when we allow the root to go deep. So one of the things that we can do if we find ourselves in a shallow soil is we can run to Jesus and run to his word and read it. But a second thing we can do is as we read it, we can have our perspective become more eternal. See, one of the things that we struggle with, let's just be honest, is that we want everything now. We're very impatient. And if it's not now, then we think a long time is next week or a month from now, right? And if that's our perspective and that's our clock and that's our calendar, then we will eventually become disillusioned with God because God is not operating on a short time frame like 70 years or 100 years. And the promises of God and how worth it it is for us to relate to him and know him and follow him are not best measured in this life. They're measured with an eternal perspective that takes it all into account. So I might experience trials and troubles and struggles now, but if I have an eternal perspective, my root has gone down deep enough that lets me know that there's an eternity ahead. And that same eternity is ahead for you as well. We need to read his word. We need to have an eternal perspective, and we need to gather around with other believers so that we can relate and find out what's going on in their life and in your life so that when, when I am having trouble and struggling because I'm shallow in my faith in some area, I can be challenged by my friend Chris who's going through something else or has already been through it and can encourage me with the depth I see in his life in the midst of that struggle. Friends, is your heart shallow? Second kind of soil that Jesus mentions. Third kind of soil that he mentions, though, is this. Is your heart crowded? Is your heart crowded? Now, some of the, the seed that is, that is cast lands on the path. Some of the seed that is cast lands on the shallow soil. But some of the seed that is cast lands on pretty good soil, but it's soil that has a lot of different stuff growing in it. Now, this is one all of us can relate to. How many of you have ever tried to grow something and something else wants to grow in its place? Right? That, that happens to us. Our yard might be a perfect environment for growing weeds in our house. Jesus says that crowded spaces produce less fruit. And he talks about the seed that is cast. He says there, there's, a, there's an enemy to seed that is cast, and that enemy is the enemy of the flesh, where the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, things that have an appeal to us because we think that they will deliver something better than God's best. And we want to have multiple masters. What we want to do is we want to be rich and have Jesus. We want to be popular and have Jesus. We want to be successful and have the the business card that says this title or the family that looks this kind of a way and have Jesus. We, We want two masters and these two things growing simultaneously will actually work to thwart the growth of God's fruit in our life. See, if we try to seek after 
many of these other things. They're not, they're not bad things in and of themselves, but if we put them as a competing agenda priority in our lives, what happens when they grow in the same spot? Jesus said, you can't have two gods in your life because whatever else you have will crowd out me. Jesus says that we need to solve this problem of overcrowding. Our flesh, an enemy that makes it appealing, but we need to have one God. And that God needs to be the God of the Bible. Friends, everything else in our life will overpromise and underdeliver. God promises and delivers every time. Who is your God? Who is your master? And when we follow him, then his fruit begins to be produced in our life. But when we don't, when we try to follow multiple things, then his fruit might be diminished because we have a competing agenda in our life. Friends, your heart's crowded today. If we're honest, many of us are struggling with this, right? We struggle with the idea of a crowded heart. We want our life to look normal with everybody else because we have all these other things, these agendas, these dreams that we have. We want it to, to blend in with our world. We don't want to be different in any way. But if we're not careful in our pursuit of those things, we will set something else up as a God that will overpromise and underdeliver. Friends, is your heart crowded? Well, in these three first parts of the story, we find these questions that all are in the negative. But there's one type of soil that has a different response. And that type of soil is the good soil. And we might ask the question related to that this way, is your heart soft? Is your heart soft? I mean, what kind of soil produces fruit? And by the way, fruitfulness is the indicator of good soil. It isn't just, does it smell good? Does it look good? The indicator of what good soil is is that it produces a harvest of 30, 60, or 100-fold. It's the production of spiritual fruit that is the proof of a good soil. Now, what is it that makes a soil good? It's a soil that is soft. It's a soil that is willing to, to receive the Word of God. It takes it in faith, doesn't keep it on the outside, but internalizes it and brings it in. Doesn't have it try to compete with everything else in their life, but says that this takes priority. Doesn't have just a a simple throw your stick on the fire at summer camp faith, but a faith that goes deep and follows Jesus into hard places in their life. See, that kind of soil that is soft that takes the word on the inside is the soil that produces good fruit. And what is the fruitful life that is mentioned? Well, the fruitful life that is, that is mentioned inside of Scripture is not a life, as some have tried to indicate, that is marked by health or wealth. The fruitful life that Jesus talks about is a life that produces a spiritual kind of fruit that is showing up in our lives in increasing forms and fashions. That fruit is talked about in Galatians chapter 5 as the fruit of the Spirit. It's not about 
what we have. It's about the, the character that we have, not about possessions, but about a character issue. It says in verse 22, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. In other words, friends, what does it look like for us to have an abundant life? What does it look like for us to have a life that has 30, 60, or 100-fold of God's fruit? It looks like a life that is marked by increasingly intense expressions of those kinds of things. Now, let me ask you, who doesn't want that? Let me ask you, this is even maybe a better way to say that. Who doesn't want your roommate to have that kind of a life? Who doesn't want your spouse to have that kind of life? Who doesn't want your children to have that kind of life? Who doesn't want your boss at work to have that kind of life? Who doesn't want their own life to be marked by those things? That's why Paul says, nobody makes a law against these things. No, no sane person would want to stop those things. Well, how do they become a reality in our lives? They become a reality in our lives when we have good, soft soil in our heart that allows God's Word to not stay on the outside but to come inside. Now, friends, when we look at this, this diagram up here, it looks like there is no enemy to the soft heart. And in a sense, I guess there isn't in the way that Jesus tells it, but ultimately, what is the enemy of the soft heart? everything else up there in that right-hand column. There is a concerted strategy of the world, the flesh, and the devil to prevent God's truth from growing in your life. But against that backdrop, there also is a strategy that God has to produce it. How does it happen? By Jesus casting his seed in our soil and us receiving it in faith so that we are transformed into his image. Now, friends, when David Ross Boyd got off of that train, he looked around Norman, and this is what he saw. but he had a plan. He had intention. He invested of his own assets to cast seed everywhere he went and to water it and to provide for it and to cultivate it so that what we see in Norman today is one of the most beautiful university campuses around the United States. Now, friends, here's the thing. Here's the thing. That miracle is nothing compared to what Jesus wants to do in your life. Seeing the hard-baked prairie of our sinfulness, Jesus wants to produce love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in us. He's invested not a little bit, not half of his income. Jesus invested everything, humbled himself, came from heaven to earth to cast his seed so that we might understand who he is, to to give his blood, his life, so that we might be forgiven. That's what Jesus has done for us. He paid it all, friends, so that God's fruit might show up in our lives. Will we receive it? Will we let something else choke it out?
Jesus tells the parable of the sower and he says, he who has ears, let him hear. Have we heard it? Father God, thank you. Thanks for just the opportunity of gathering today and worshiping. Thank you for just this incredible story that that you told and preserved uh, for us to be able to look at today. Father, I pray that everyone here today, everyone with ears, everyone who hears this message, Father, that they would be someone who would open the soil of their life, that they would allow you to break up the rock and to give them a heart of flesh, that they would not have a shallow understanding of who you are, but a deep one. Father, that you would protect them from forming other idols because we would recognize that there is one you who we can trust. And Father, I pray that you would produce a harvest of your fruit in our lives to your glory, according to your power, that you would provide a beauty about us, the aroma of Christ. We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.